Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. You're listening to Yeah Na Passeran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we are joined by Bo Spearham. Thanks for joining us, Bo. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I guess just to begin with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So Yama, Bo Spiram, Kumari Kuma, Marawari, part of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance here in Brizzy. was born in Western Sydney and a place called Blacktown. Spent you know, my early childhood down there before I moved up here. Attended the Murray School here in Brisbane on the south side. For the past 10 years, I've been doing community radio. For the past almost three years, I've been doing Frontier War Stories, which is a podcast about the first 140 years of conflict and resistance between Aboriginal people and the British, and then later, you know, the Australian, the, Auss- the Aussies, what they would come to identify as. Yeah, and just been... And for the past 10 years as well, just been involved in community activism up here in Brisbane. Frontier War Stories is a just an amazing archive of audio around the subject of the Frontier Wars. Could you tell us why did you decide to start it? I always loved history, even as a, a teenager in high school, but I just never did it just because I thought it wasn't for me and... Nobody in that class was my, well, I guess I considered a, a schoolmate at that time. And it, was, it would have been about 2012. I got a copy of 500 Years of Indigenous Resistance by Gord Hill, an amazing First Nations activist and land defender and interland in, in, in so-called Canada. That book illustrates the resistance from 1492 up to like the early 90s. So last year he brought out like a, a 10th anniversary where he the old one was black and white and stopped sort of in the 90s. This one was a revised version. They added up to, like, Standing Rock and I Don't Know More and the Elsa Pogtog resistance in 2013, which I got to visit the, pre- the year later with a bunch of black followers from here. We went to Turtle Islands, uh, the Wet'suwet'en, the Ernest Resistance Camp, and other sort of indigenous resistances in the Americas as well. And then also they added like an amazing like female res- warrior resistance sort of archive as well, like talking about different female warriors and where they, how they stood and how they represented their communities as well. So that was a huge inspiration. And if you listen to like the first couple, I think I even give a shout out to Gord as well. And, and I mentioned that many times saying, how much of a, an inspiration that book was. And I, like, I wanted to sort of archive and record the resistance here in that, in a way similar to like that. And at the time, and, and even now, I'm still not a good at art or, or drawing, but I was in radio and back then I never really thought, oh, maybe I could mix the both together. 
And then I, and then I did in 2020, just when the pandemic hit. So had a bit of time, free time to sort of start that and started that at home. And, you know, been very, very thankful and humbled by how people have gravitated towards it as a learning tool and as sort of a wake-up call uh, for themselves as well. What was the most, I guess, surprising thing you found through investigating the Frontier Wars? It's, I guess it's it's not necessarily what, what, what I found out, but it's just like, it just sort of reiterates what I know, that blackfellas never, like we never laid down to die and, and or we never copped it sweet. Like every instance of colonial violence, blackfellas are there, to stand to, to stand tall and, and defend their communities, their their law and their ceremony, and that's what our mob did all over this continent. It's like patches of fire that happened wherever these the colony sort of spread. They were met by a line of warriors. If that was the response that was needed at that time, and in the, in that occasion, I mean as well, because one thing we've got to understand is Aboriginal people, like, like Blackfellas, we've been living here for so long, and we've managed this continent for so long, and to a degree where our first response to conflict is to resolve it, and the fact that uh, we don't have a history of taking over a history of slavery or a history of domination over smaller tribes is a testament to sort of how Aboriginal governance was operating on this continent uh, for so long. And you can see the breakdown within that 250 years later. The breakdown of that governance has resulted in some, to almost to a degree of irreversible climate change where remote communities in 10 years will be unlivable because of the heat. Coastal areas like the Torres Straits and, and coastal areas around the country, the continent, the mainland will be underwater. And then we're having these devastating bushfires that haven't been managed properly. So it's just sort of this this feeling of like, I knew blackfellas were deadly, but how we, we conducted ourselves in a way that never broke the connection between the land or, or that we had with each other as people as well. And then you sort of start to see how that slowly breaks down once these once the British come and, and instigate a whole host of tactics, whether that's just outright massacring and, and brutalising, but then also instigating sort of beefs between various different nations as well that, that they sort of, that existed even before Whitefellas got here, but they... They really sort of twist the, I guess, the arms of certain mobs and certain individuals to, sort of, to think that they're getting an upper hand in this experience. The resistance continues, obviously, and January 26 occupies a particular place in that context. And you're helping to organise rallies calling for treaty, not voice. I'm wondering if you can explain why you're doing that and what your criticisms of the referendum and the voice are. Definitely, definitely. Well, the one of the huge criticisms, I guess, about it is like uh, all people, of all people, like uh, John Howard was to start a campaign to add Aboriginal people to the Constitution that's fucked up. So he's one person back in 2017, sorry, 27, 
27, 26 or 5, when him and him and Rad were going at each other, that was his thing to sort of interest, I guess, the black vote. And then obviously Rad wanted to apologise to the Stolen Generation for Stolen Generation for past policies that affected you know, the Stolen Generation. That, that's sort of one of the main reasons why I don't support it. And two, because the the, the, the process in which that has been sort of running and the voice has been going this is just a, a, a new sort of face to it. It's, it's always been constitutional change and, 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 and previous before that it was a recognised campaign. It was always to add Aboriginal people to the constitution and I think we sit at a very important position in regards to what we want to bring to the table before we sort of say, hey, yeah, yeah let's have a yarn about constitutional reform or recognition, let's sort of have a yarn about treaty, let's have a yarn about a republic, or let's have a yarn about independence, or let's have a yarn about a seventh state, or let's have a yarn about a black parliament, or you know, there's all these other conversations that are happening by black fellows who have led this, who have who have laid this groundwork 40 years later for us to be here. There's elders still alive who are still have a lot to add to this discussion, and like always, they're sort of being left behind and not being heard, and it's 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 why and and another reason as well as it's it's as Gary Foley says, it's a toothless tiger. This whole voice to parliament because one of the things is it's enshrined in the constitution. This voice, then one thing that can happen is that group who is elected is elected at the whim of that that prime minister of the day and. Like I think we will, we're in a time where we need real reform and and real change, and I don't think a voice can deliver that either. And at the cost of conservative blackfellas who have have a track record of demonising and being a part of other sort of uh, demonising policies of movements like the. the yeah, the, the Northern Territory intervention, like native title, and like other sort of policies that have affected our mob, and and also ignoring the fact that, like places here in Queensland, they're about to release new police powers to lock up anybody that steals a car and takes a photo for up to ten to fifteen years, and the majority of people who are doing that are kids, and the majority of those kids that are doing that are young black kids. Like like there's, there's these heinous sort of what is it like. The fact that we live in a system that still denies the basic rights to black followers and mob is still dying in custody, like I think there's so much more to have a conversation about than just sort of listening to or or, or wanting to be a part of a voice that won't deliver real hard change. And, and, and I don't think a voice will do that. And I don't think a selected group of people, nine group of people, to talk to government and say, hey, this is what we want. What we want is a tree. Like, what I really think is, you know, we really need to get back to community and we really need to build a foundation from that. And then, and then ask our community what we want, you know, whether that's treaty or whether that's uh, whatever they sort of come up with because we're in a time where only, what, like less than 100 people participated in the in 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 the in the the gathering in Uluru, and when they had sort of elected bodies who were who who were voices for mob, uh, like the, the the Congress for First Peoples, at its height of voting, there was about maybe I think two around 250 votes. So, so there, right there, it says that Blackfellas aren't engaging you know, with these institutions because they don't see that they will bring 
any fundamental change to them as well. And there's also that notion of this government, this 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 government has always hasn't always had our our, our best interest, and so our mob are, are always going to be sort of fearful or sort of watchful in regards to what they bring out and roll out. You mentioned the idea of this being a new face on sort of an old package. Noel Pearson this week said, there's a point in the clock face where the far left meets the far right. And all of a sudden the fringe of the left and the fringe of the right find common ground. They're on a unity ticket. They're saying the same thing. Any idea what on earth he's talking about with this clock? No, 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 I don't. But one thing I do know, like if it does come to sort of, and it will. Like, there will be a referendum, and there will be 27, 25 million people. The majority of those, I guess, will be white, and they will essentially have a say on what Aboriginal people should have and when uh, a large majority of mob already don't want this. You know, and then, and then, when, they, and then when it actually does go to the vote, the funny thing about it is your well-meaning white people, they're going to vote yes. The conservative mob who follow this, are going to vote yes. The mob, the radical mob who are against this are going to vote no. You know who's going to vote no with, that? with the radical mob? The Nazis and the racists. Because like, oh, fuck, blackfellas, again, are going to get something. So it's, it's you know, um, it's, 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 it's just a waste of time. Like, I've said this to the people who run this campaign on several occasions, and, and many mob have that. It's just sort of a waste of time, you know, when we should really be yarning about other things. That's why far more important. And plus, like, uh, Rio Tinto or BHP, one of their sponsors, which is a mining company that has been raping the land. We like, like we don't want to align ourselves with these toxic mining companies that continue to use all their power to dispossess Aboriginal people. Famously not the greatest friends of Indigenous Australia. Yes. But you advocate for treaty-making I'm wondering how you think about how that could proceed and what do you make of the current efforts that are being made by the Victorian state government and, and maybe some others? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's like four to three different places that are engaging in some sort of discussion around treaty. So Victoria, as you mentioned, Queensland have their tracks to treaty. I think SA and also maybe the NT have, have have sort of started gambling with this sort of dialogue as well. And, uh, and obviously it's right, right at a state and then sort of a, a Commonwealth sort of level as well, territory level, sorry. And from what I can see from uh, the mob in Victoria, they're not happy with some of the process. Some of the, the mob that we know, you know, like Lydia and some of these other mob who, are, who, who really want to push real sort of fundamental change if... This is the key that we do, that we use to open the door as well. What I can tell you now is I went to the last Tracks to Treaty meeting here in Brisbane and they weren't ready. They're, they were like, it was, it was, it was in shambles, like the meeting up here. If the people who ran it didn't have the right equipment to sort of host it, host this sort of conversation. They didn't have any resources to sort of give out to us to read. You know, like it was very off the cuff, quickly sort of set up, but not really thoroughly sort of thought out for mob to sort of engage in us. And there was only about 10, 20 of us in the room. And I was in Logan here on sort of the south side of Brisbane. The way that they, these conversation dialogues being run aren't run at the best interest of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people. And it's going to be ran at sort of a, uh, 
Yeah, like, like at our cost of, uh, uh, to our mob. And, and what I mean by that is that it's not going to be given the sort of legs that we want to sort of push any sort of radical or any sort of hard change for our mob as well. And then we're just going to look at outside the treaty processes like in Archroll or in Turtle Islands about how it is a, it can be a sham or a botched process if we don't have the, the, the one, the, the same language as these people talking. Like, I think like the, the Treaty of Waitangi, that's in English and that's in the native language over in New Zealand, sort of equal to two different pieces of papers. We know how, how, how cunning the people are in these, in, in these conversations and conversations as well. So we've got to be really very strategic and very smart about how we, engage in this as well and i think we've got to aim high when we want our demands in regards to sort of negotiating into a treaty because we can't be half-assed about it and sort of not sort of swing for the moon when we want things like if i was asked on a personal level like what i'd want first up would be reparations these folks need to pay for the last 250 years of damages and then they need to start giving access and giving our land back to us. It's just the, uh, it's just the beginning. That we need like three to ten percent of the GST, the taxes need to be given back to us as well. Oh, yeah, just so we can be on the same e- even playing field with these people because when they come to us or they give us the scraps, and that's all we're sort of jumping up for. That's why these mining companies just run over the top of us because they don't they don't see us as a threat. They go straight to the government. Or they go straight to people who align with, with their thinking and they give them crumbs. Where I'm from down in northern New South Wales, in the Pilliga at the moment, Santos wanted to destroy the Great Artesian Basin and the Pilliga Forest. And what I can tell you is the money that Santos wanted to give the Gomorrah Nation was the lowest sort of payment that they gave any other Aboriginal group in any negotiations when they were entering into yarns about destroying other other lands in different parts of the country. So like these people don't respect us. So I think there's a there's definitely a long way to go in regards to what it is that we want and how we understand the processes of getting that as well. Invasion Day is one day of the year to platform this conversation and many other issues. There's so much more that needs to be done throughout different parts of the year that I think can be used as this day could be used as an important catalyst to sort of push that. But then we need the groundswell and the support of the majority to sort of come along with us because, you know, the 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 voice is 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 a representation of sort of supposedly what mob want. And the government wanna platform this as a voice of of reason or whatnot. And the Aboriginal people have been screaming and, and screaming and yelling for two hundred and fifty years and it's not that we haven't had a voice, it's just that they've chosen to block their ears or face another direction. Apart from a lack of resources, what do you think are the main obstacles facing Indigenous peoples in relation to forcing the state to come to the table? I don't, I mean, I don't, like, I don't want any, anybody to be empathetic to sort of what has happened to us, but there needs to be some genuine conversations around that. We want people to, be, to show us empathy for the sake of it, like... And, and, they, and like the people who are coming to us having these discussions, they're having these based off of their job title and, and sort of their nine to five, they get to go home. Blackfellas, we don't. The moment we leave these like these corridors and these rooms, we're instantly under a fucking attack from coppers who, 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 who are part of a racist institution that dates back to frontier wars. 
the tactics that they use to, to chase us down and harm us. You know, they, 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 they prey on our kids to continue to steal them off us, but they have continually through this thing called Stolen Generation and locking them up at 10 years old. And then, when we, and then when we are a family unit, we can't go back to our country because these same people that want to come negotiate with us want to destroy our land. So like, it's sort of like these fellows, how should they feel when they come to us for these discussions? Well, they should think about all these things that are going on in, in, in the lives of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people and maybe consider that when we're talking about this shit, it's, it's not a nine-to-five thing. It's, it, it's a very terrifying it's twenty four seven, and you know we've got to confront these these institutions day to day, and and, and like that, like that's what I say to to people when I'm on the front line, and when there's well-meaning white people that want to say, oh, that was a great action, like let's have a thirty second talk about what's good about the action, and like, well, wait a minute, you know, when I leave here, when my when 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 my brother or or, or, or I leave here with our children, like man, like even as a black father. I'm wary of sort of walking to certain places with my kids to this fucking day because I know that eyes will sort of look around at me. Yeah, but that's a whole another yarn there. But like, this is sort of the reality that we live in, and these people wanting to have these conversations. Like, man, like they're not even ready to have these conversations because they don't know what's happening. But just to bring it back around to the frontier wars, there's this collective amnesia in Australia around what happened and these wars that went on until not that long ago. Have you seen a shift, though, in the way that they're treated in history? Definitely, definitely. Like like anything, once these old dinosaurs die, then there's going to be new hope for, for young people. They're going to really you know what has been written, what has been said, what has been recorded on podcasts like mine and run with it. That's why so many people are rocking up to Invasion Day because they're sick of being lied to, because they're sick of understanding that They've come to realisation and understand that, hey, wait a minute, if I've been here for five generations or how many other generations, I know for a fact that what I have you know, has come at the cost of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or my family has participated in the massacre uh, and that's how I have my farm or that's how like, I have this generational wealth that I haven't sort of taken the time to sort of check in and understand where it came from. Uh, or even, or even you, know, like you don't even have to be somebody who's been here for generations. Like a refugee, uh, they know what freedom tastes like and feels like. They feel it when they come here. But yet, blackfellas, we like, like we don't we don't have the, the the opportunity to sort of feel that the milk and the honey of sort of of what they describe in this country. And that's due to the fact because there's still this whole denial on all levels from your, your prime ministers to your conservative historians, to, to Joe Blow on Facebook that will write, write some racist shit in the comment section of anything that's got to do with black followers, especially on the 26th of January. But like I said, once these dinosaurs die, we, we, we're sort of edging closer and closer to a better collective understanding. We just need more of these old racist white dogs to just drop because <laughs> then like, we're going to be one less old racist in the world. Which is always good, but like, and then also like like I guess the role of you know non-indigenous peoples, not just at this time, but at every other uh, other time that you get, it's it's their opportunity to sort of challenge these narratives in their home, in their workplace, in their place of leisure, where they relax with mates and have a beer or whatever. That's the obligation of white Australia, like, and then that's sort of 
how we shift and how people continue to understand our true history. You know, people got to start to be comfortable with being uncomfortable in Australia around First Nations issues and history. Because once that uncomfortability comes and hopefully they get the chance to challenge that. And once they get to challenge that, then hopefully they get the opportunity to sort of live with that and say, okay, this is my history. This is my identity. But wait a minute, that following stage said, this is my history as well as, as well as it is his. So now let's start fucking living it. Well, I think that's a good spot to leave it. Uh, just before we go, could you just tell us where people can find you online? And maybe also, are there any other resources that you'd recommend for people that wanted to learn more about this history? For sure. Yeah, you can catch the podcast on all your streaming platforms. Definitely check out Awesome Black. It's this new First Nations podcast platform that I'm going to sort of start using, or I have already started using it, but I encourage people to go there and check out other deadly podcasts by Mom. Resources, yeah, definitely. Callum Clayton Dixon's amazing book, Surviving New England, talk about frontier conflicts, anything really by Henry Reynolds. And, and, and just, just really, like, I'm not, I'm not much into reading. I had difficulties all my life reading. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to create the podcast is to create an opportunity to talk with these experts about sort of their writings and their, and, and their learnings from the frontier wars as well. Check out Ryan's stuff on the, on the massacre map. By the time you hear this, there already should be another episode of frontier war stories out. I'm going to get back to regularly doing that. And then, oh yeah, that, that, and that episode will be about the Waterloo Creek massacre, which happened on the 26th of January. 1838, 20 kilometers outside of Moray, where my father was born on a mission there as well. So new episodes of Frontier War Stories are coming. Also, I've got some shirts coming as well. They'll get here in early Feb. So if you want any of those, hit, hit me up on uh, Frontier War Stories on Instagram and you know, we can um, sort you out with some shirts. Lovely. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's the show, Andy. We'll be back next week. See you later. See you then. He pointed to the edge of the river with a hand still shaking. That's where the nightmare came. Banya, the auntie screamed as the jar jumps begin to run.
summer, tune into 3CR's Disability Day broadcast, Rest is Survival. 12 hours of programs by people with disabilities. Conversations about rest as a necessity for survival, the ways disabled people are habitually denied both rest and income, reflections on disabled rest and joy, disabled indigenous anti-capitalist features, and much more. All the audio is available to listen back at your leisure at 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2022 or find the podcast by searching 3CR's Radical Radio on your favourite podcast app. Travellers Aid Australia is offering free scooter safety training sessions. They will help mobility scooter and powered wheelchair users to practice their skills and build confidence in navigating their local community and accessing public transport. These sessions are delivered by trained facilitators and volunteers and are provided across Melbourne. For more information or to register interests, visit travellersaid.org.au, call on 03-9654-2600 or email info at travellersaid.org.au. Travellers Aid Australia is a 3CR supporter. 